in my introduction here, I want to give recognition to the role that God has created in Mother uh, as partners with Him. I'd like to turn, invite you to turn, go back to the beginning of time, Genesis chapter 2, and I'll begin reading at verse 18. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. These are familiar verses to most of us, I think, but uh, I'd like to just start here. And the Lord, verse 18, the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every file of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all of the cattle and the fowls of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And I'll stop reading there. We see that uh, God had a, uh, a purpose in setting Adam there and bringing the creatures to him. And I think one of the, one of the uh, important aspects that God wanted to impress upon Adam was the fact of of the importance of uh, Adam understanding the need of companionship. Uh, I can only <laughs> let my mind run, uh, you know, to think of, of the loneliness that Adam experienced as he, as those animals were brought before him and he named them and he realized that, okay, here's uh, Mr. and Mrs. Lion, here's Mr. and Mrs. Tiger, here's Mr. and Mrs. Elephant, etc. And... Uh, you know, it seems like God wanted to impress upon Adam that there, you're different. There's, uh, other than, other than the level of creation, but there's also something lacking in your life. And, uh, so as, as God assigned Adam the task of naming those creatures, male and female, as they came before him, and, uh, especially there in verses 19 and, uh, 20, God out of the ground formed every beast of the field, every fowl of the air, and, uh, again, I can't fathom the task of, of naming all of those different creatures, but uh, and how many there were, I'm not sure. How long did it take? We can let our imagination perhaps run. But uh, again, I think God wanted to instill and impress upon Adam the importance that okay, these creatures that were created from the dust of the earth all have a companion, and you have nothing. I, uh, I came across an interesting article in my study that I'm going to share with you some of the, uh, not, in the uh, not in its entirety, but some of the things that I, I found rather fascinating. A man by the name of Mark uh, Coos uh, is quoting a name, a man by the name of John Walton. And he, uh, you know, as we think about the creation and, and, you know, what, how God accomplished the creating of woman and brought him to man, this is what he has to say. And again, it's not scripture, but I'm going to present it to you for your thought and consideration. Walton says the word we translate rib is found about 40 times in the Hebrew Bible. Again, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so I I can't refute that, so I'm taking him at his word. But in no other passage is it used as an analytical term, a part of the body. In 2 Samuel 
uh, 16 verse 13, it refers to the other side of the hill. It also, in other places, refers to planks and beams in the tabernacle or something that has two sides to it. You know, one side, the other side. Uh, rings along two sides of the ark. Rooms on two sides of the temple, the north or the south. And he gives the references there where that actual Hebrew word, the same Hebrew word is used in, in the Old Testament. He says, you can think of splitting an apple in two halves. If we picture this, it looks like God took half of Adam and made Eve. So we get focused on that little portion of a rib and we think, well, how did God do it? Now, God can certainly do anything. And I'm not necessarily uh, uh, saying this is exactly the way it is, but I, I appreciate somewhat more of his insight. Was Adam cut in two? Well, not literally. I mean, God can do whatever he wants, but I doubt this, sur- this refers to surgery without anesthesia. If you look at the word, if you look at the Hebrew word used for deep sleep, which is what he uh, uses here in the uh, expression of uh, Adam having a sleep, the sleep, uh, and there's a the Hebrew word there is tardem, tardema. The sleep referred to is usually something other than a normal sleep. It's more like a sleep of stupefaction when someone is unresponsive to anything in their human realm. So that's that's the level of sleep that Adam was put under. And as God brought Adam to, as God brought Eve to Adam, he saw Eve as formed from his body. He could give identification. Okay, this is, this is not just another animal. This is something that is, that I can communicate with. This is something that is going to complement me and complete me. Adam cannot find anything pertaining to himself among the other animals, for there is no ontology connection ontological connection. That's a big word, but I think it has to do with uh, ontological. Uh, well, I don't know. It has the idea. I looked it up. It has the idea of uh, ontological. I think it has the idea of uh, even no connection, no logical connection. The animals are delightful and have their place, but they cannot complement a human being who is a male or female. The genders are designed to complement each other. This does not mean that a single person, single people that do not choose to marry are less human, nor that there is only one possible spouse who can be your true other half. It means rather that humanity is designed for the male and female pairing. And I think that's an an impressive truth and thought as we think of where our world and culture is today. The two together can become more than either of them was alone. Even so, the tragedy of the human sin in our lives can twist and mar what this should look like, as our early forefathers discovered soon enough. There is no marriage that does not need forgiveness and healing redemption. In some marriages, a spouse defers too much, and that life is absorbed by the other's personality and dominion. In others, there are resentment behaviors and attitudes that isolate, instilling loneliness in the inner heart. It is possible for married people to be lonelier than single people, Some spouses bring out the other's weakness rather than their strengths. God's forgiveness and grace are still needed today. God can do more than forgive. God can transform and make all things new. Keep this hope in mind. Sleep on it. Maybe couples need to ask for a deep sleep like Adam's in order to receive a special vision, a new vision for achieving greater wholeness in their time together. I thought that was a well-written perspective on on what our relationship to be to our partners, uh, the mothers in our 
lives and uh, our wives that we share our lives with. Certainly a blessing. This morning I'd like to take you to the mother of Jesus. There's four, there may be more, I'm going to pick out four incidents that I think not only mothers can, it's, I'm speaking particularly to mothers this morning, but all of us can benefit from. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, going to the New Testament, we looked at God setting up and designing the relationship between man and woman. And we know that uh, God is no respecter. The New Testament tells us that God is no respecter of person, uh, male or female, Greek or Jew. And uh, we are all have equal access to God. We have different roles to fill, but yet in God's spirit, in spiritual dimension, God is, we have the same uh, access to God. Luke chapter uh, 1, verse 38 is the first expression I want to uh, draw your attention to from Mary. This is when the setting here is when uh, Mary was told of her responsibility in God's plan. The angel came to her. And in verse 38, as, as that uh, responsibility was uh, given to her to bring the Redeemer. Mike was talking about what do we know him as? The Redeemer, Savior, uh, the I Am into the world. And then Mary had this to say after the angel was uh, was speaking and it shared with her. In verse 38, Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. The uh, the expression that Mary gives is, is, is powerful. He says, she says, be it unto me according to thy word. And, uh, to mothers this morning, I think that's a place you need to experience. And all of us, I believe it's an expression that we need to vocalize to God in our relationship to Him. Be it unto me according to thy word. Submission to God's will for her life is what she was, uh, giving affirmation to and what she wanted. And uh, I think all of us will receive a blessing, as Mary did, if we come to that place. You know, this wasn't in Mary's agenda to uh, go through this experience. It wasn't like it was, she was, uh, God was preparing her, I believe. And, and yet, you stop and think, what did God do to prepare her? Well, again, a lot of that is, is veiled. We don't know. But how did Mary come to that point when she said, be it unto me, according to that word? There had to be some previous relationship that she seemingly without reservation says be it unto me and uh, you know it's it's easy to gloss over that statement and and sure well yeah we understand the story we know it from beginning to end and and to realize the blessing and role that mary played in in god's plan of redemption but to think if she had declined that rejected that and and not embraced that what would have been the outcome. Be it unto me according to thy word. Someone has said how we respond to unexpected events in our lives is a, is a good measure of our faith. So I'm, I'm confident this morning that as I, as I look at this expression of Mary, there were things that she had blocks that she had built her faith upon that she got to this place when she could say, be it unto me, according to thy word. And it's blocks that each one of us need to embrace. It's, it's, it's steps that we need to take, small steps maybe, but we need to get to that place when we're ready to say, God, it's your will, it's your life, I'm here. Use me as pleases you. 
You know, the carnal nature, and as Mike mentioned in the Sunday school lesson too, the carnal nature is is so apt to come out of our lives. You know, do we complain? Do I balk? Or do I find my experience as walking by faith and trusting in his word? You know, if you look at the experience of Mary, it took courage for her to, to say that. And and I think it was more than her own strength. It, and each one of us this morning, as we are willing to give that expression, it's we won't accomplish it in our own strength. We need to rely upon God to to flesh that out in, in practical day-to-day living. Be it unto me according to thy word. You know, Mary could have said okay, like I probably would have, but... But, but, and how many buts do we sometimes bring back to God? There's something I don't understand about this. God, no matter what Mary said, she had to know, even as she affirmed God's plan for her life, even as you this morning affirmed God's plan for your life, you know there's going to be people that are going to misunderstand you. There's going to be people that are going to misread you and say, what is the matter with you? You're foolish for doing that, but you're never foolish. You'll never be foolish for embracing that truth of that expression. Be it unto me according to thy word. God will reward you in eternity for that. Carnally speaking, uh, naturally speaking, we may not understand it. Others may not understand it, but that did not matter to Mary. She embraced that and she, she clung to that. Mary knew that other people would talk. Mary knew, Joseph knew, and God knew. And those that's really all that matters. When I know and have confidence in my heart, and uh, when those around me, those that are closest to me, my partner, my family, know, and uh, God knows, you know, that's really the, all that matters. And we mentioned that also in the Sunday School lesson this morning, that it's, it is hard when we don't have the approval. We all desire that naturally we desire that acceptance of those that we uh, rub shoulders with good job you know uh, hey we like what you're doing and there is room for commendation to people Uh, but you know when there is less than that you know what's our response I have to ask myself a question ask yourselves moms today what are some of the things that God asks moms to do today and I thought about that for a while, and I'd, you can think about that as we're sharing here. What would be some of the things that God would come to you and ask you to do? It seemed like a pretty difficult thing, in my perspective, for God to ask Mary to do what he wanted her to do. Wouldn't there have been another way? Couldn't there have been another way? I, you know, I don't know. God, God's ways are perfect. We know that. <laughs> and so that was, the, that was the perfect way to bring the Savior into the world. And... Uh, I certainly would not want to question that. God wants to use you and I as mom, moms this morning. God wants to use you. And I I thought about that. I raised a couple of questions. What are some of the things that God might ask you today? Uh, what about God asking you to raise missionaries or teachers, etc.? Yeah, we should understand that. You know, we expect our children to grow up in the church and be Sunday school teachers and school teachers and you know, janitors and, you know, ministers and whatever else. You know, we, we kind of, we kind of expect that. that you know, as things trans, transpire in, in the process of life that, you know, there's somebody else to pick up on the responsibilities of congregation and church life. Um, another one I thought about, 
What about if God would come to you and say, I want one of your children for a martyr? You know, that would hit a little closer home, wouldn't it? Um, how many of you here remember John Troyer being martyred? Just a handful, not that many of you. Um, you know, and again, that was not something in his agenda, not something on Marie's agenda. Um, but God used that for whatever purpose. And today, we maybe don't understand the full extent of that martyr, senseless killing uh, in Guatemala. And there's many examples of martyrs throughout the world today that people that are giving their lives for the Lord that, uh, you know, we, we we don't even give a second thought to it, perhaps. We should. And again, that comes to developing you know consciousness beyond this physical life. What if God would call us, or what if God would call one of our children to be a martyr? Or what about raising daughters that are career helpmeets and moms at home? Is that something that we agendize to our children, our, our daughters, that they be uh, learn the responsibilities of homekeepers, companions, helpmeets, I pulled up according to salary.com, if you want to feel good this morning, moms, if you want to know what your uh, your actual worth is in our world and culture today, they say that if you figure out, calculate the actual salary, it would be worth $178,201. And that's that's considered median level. So there's, if you want to, depending on how you want to calculate, it could be higher, it could be lower, but... Uh, Give yourselves a pat on the back for that. 178,201. And, uh, they gave consideration to the, to the to traditional roles of housekeeping, dietitian, daycare, etc., but also included some of the newer titles such as network administrator, social media communication, uh, recreational therapist, academic advisor, accountant, liberal arts director, athletic director, purchasing agent, CEO, coach, daycare administrator, uh, Events coordinator, housekeeping facilities, uh, director, groundskeeper, interior designer, generator, judge, and magistrate. Anybody know anything about that? Moms play peace role, uh, keepers many times. Laundry logistics analyst, uh, uh, maintenance supervisor, network administrator, photo- photographer, psychologist, recreational therapist, uh, nurse, social media, and special specialized tailor. So this morning, we want to say thank you, moms, for all the roles and all the hats you wear. Certainly is, uh, uh, we many times take it for, for granted too many times. The second verse I want to, that Mary expresses in throughout her life, you think of her bringing Jesus into the world as, um, any of you have brought a newborn baby to church for the first time. Here she brought Jesus into the world, the Savior of the world, and I don't know how much she understood about that and his role, but I, it was a growing experience. And, you know, I think it's the way it is for moms as they, they have that newborn, newborn baby and as it grows, they, they begin to get visions, they begin to get aspirations and, uh, you know, going to, uh, Luke chapter 2, just a bit further on, 41 to 52, we see another, uh, example here. I'd like to tell you this morning, moms, that you don't need to be perfect or know on, or know or be on top of everything. Uh, even though if we look at the list of t- titles and hats you wear many times, uh, it, you certainly are qualified. But uh, you don't need to be perfect or know or be on top of everything. And we have the example here, uh, the verse I want to uh, 
And I'll maybe read a couple of verses around this experience. Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 41. The account here is when Jesus went to the temple, probably for the first time as a 12-year-old. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. And when they had fulfilled the days, as they returned, the the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But as they supposed him to be in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among the kinfolks and acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed, and his mother said unto him, Notice this, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not that saying which he spake unto unto them. Have you ever struggled to understand and embrace your children's ambitions and dreams and logic? I think right here we have an example of Mary struggling with that. Notice in verse 51 what her response was, and I failed to read that. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all of these sayings in her heart. I'd like to suggest this morning that that moms have an intuition in their understanding and hearts that perhaps maybe we as men maybe do lack in. You know, because of all the little sayings and all the details that are stored in there, um, God God was uh, using Mary in a powerful way. She didn't understand, but yet she took those little details and and, uh, stored them in her heart. I was challenged as I looked at Jesus here, who seemingly first time there at the temple experience, sitting down with the the doctors and the... uh, the educators of the law and, and, you know, asking questions. And uh, it says they were astonished uh, at his understanding and his answers. And uh, certainly Jesus was qualified to uh, understand beyond what they understood for sure. So I thought about, you know, we sometimes hear of, of children today who are extremely brilliant and... Uh, in uh, June 10th, 2014, there was a, a man by the, uh, a boy rather, 10 years old, by the name of Tanshi Abraham, who actually was the youngest graduate from high school in the United States. 10 years old, graduating from high school. Now we know that's probably the extreme. There was another young man, Stephen uh, Bacchus, at 16, graduated from the Miami School of Law in 1986. He passed his bar exam on his 17th birthday. And, you know, those are boys, in this case, both boys, that at a very, very young age were excelling in understanding the law, the, our, our education in law in our culture today. It doesn't say anything about their spirituality, of course, but uh, here we have Jesus who, of course, understood everything. And again, I don't know how that all you know, how that all worked in his relationship to other children. You know, sometimes children that are extremely brilliant have other shortcomings in social skills. Uh, we've probably uh, seen that already. Uh, 
uh, and there's you know it's it it sometimes gets to be a challenge to know how to let a child like that develop normally uh, and yet not discourage them in their learning. Uh, I don't have the answers to that necessarily. I've I've never encountered that myself, but. Uh, you know, we have uh, seen people that have struggled with other other issues that have had um, brilliance in in education. So we see Jesus here as he shared with the doctors, uh, Mary. You know, I I don't know what all transpired that they left it slip that he was not along with them. Uh, I think it does speak something. As I thought about it, it does speak something for the behavioral. Uh, character of Jesus. I don't think they ever gave it a second thought that he wasn't along with them uh, up to this point. Uh, so I, I guess I'm thinking that's that's commendable that uh, they just assumed he was along. And and you know, as parents, we like to assume too, and sometimes we assume too much. But uh, I think it speaks well for Jesus that they just assumed. And we we find. Mary's, we don't see Joseph saying anything. I thought that was kind of interesting. It seems like Mary was the one that was saying uh, the things addressing Jesus and his lack of <laughs> thy father and that I have sought thee. So he was evidently along searching, seeking, and uh, maybe he held his tongue. Maybe he was thinking of all the furniture he could have built if they had lost them two days coming back or three days, whatever it was. And uh, I don't know. Those were just some of my random thoughts. I, I thought about the possibilities there and maybe what my reactions would have been. We, uh, Mary, of course, was, uh, she was astonished and, uh, she stored those, that experience in her heart for later. Going to John chapter two is the third, uh, experience of Mary, expression of Mary. Uh, if you go to John chapter two, verses one through five, this is the, uh, Recording of the first miracle of Jesus. John 2 and the verse 1. And the third day there was a marriage in Canaan of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Notice the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, they have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. You know, moms, this morning, that's probably the wisest thing you can ever tell any of your children. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. You tell your children that whatever God comes to you and tells you and requires of you and wants you to do, you need to do it. number of things that impressed me, quoting Matthew Henry, he says, man's extremity is always God's opportunity. When we have our backs against the wall... When it's beyond our ability to fix the problem, that's when God has an opportunity to reveal who he is and how powerful he is. You know, I had to think as I looked at this example of 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 Mary coming to Jesus. You know, what prompted her to go to Jesus, perhaps? Uh, Is there some details that we do not have recorded, perhaps? Has she gone to him before? Uh for solutions, for problems in life. But in any event, I see no hesitancy in her confidence in coming to him. And we know that she wasn't disappointed. If we read on to the, uh, uh, to what took place, you know, this, this, 
This wasn't just some watered-down grape juice. This was the best grape juice. And we see that as they followed in obedience to Jesus' command. Uh, and that's a, a lesson for us. We'll always, always experience the best when we follow the Lord. As they brought that water that was changed into wine, brought it to the master of the ceremonies there, and he said, what's going on here? Something has happened. They knew what happened. He didn't know what happened. He said, why are you saving the best to last? Now, we understand in, in real life, sometimes we need to save the best to last, and we like to sometimes save the best to last. But in this situation, they wanted the best served first, so that when they had had drunk, had their fill, that even if it was less quality, less character, I don't know what the term is for wine, uh, best flavor, that men wouldn't notice it, I guess. But uh, moms, I'd like to encourage you to vocalize your faith, express your faith to your children, and then pass on that faith, as Mary did in this example here. She passed on her faith to her son, the savior of her, who was her personal savior, passed it on to uh, those that she came in contact, those that were responsible. And I think moms do that very well, passing on that at faith and and express it verbally and, and uh, even by their lives. The fourth example that I'd like to draw from Mary's testimony or her life as we think of her role as a mother is in John 19. And this takes us all the way to the end of, of Jesus' ministry as he experienced the... Uh, cross, John 19, verses 25 through 27, and again, it's, here there are no words expressed, and I I thought that was interesting. Here, Jesus, here Mary does not express any vocal, uh, and again, I think that tells something about moms. How many times do moms uh, not have vocal expressions for their heart's feelings, and, and they just simply take it all in? And that's the example we have here of Mary, I believe. Verse 25, now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. And I'll stop reading there. But uh, I am challenged as I look at Mary's uh, strength in coming to the cross. You think of the cruelty, the brutality that her son was experiencing, and seeing him hanging there on the cross. Now we see John, the only disciple that we have recorded here, being there. And I don't know where the others were, if they had fled completely or if they were looking from afar off. But we see uh, Mary and uh, his aunt and Mary Magdalene and John being there close to the side of Jesus as he suffered that horrible crucifixion on the cross for the sins of the world. As I think about the expression of Mary here, there's attachments and connections that mothers have that are not vocalized many times. And I think we see that here in in Mary's wanting to be there by her son as he suffered that cruel death that man brought upon him and put him through. You know, I, I thought about the attachments that moms have is the you know, the first attachment is the umbilical cord as that child develops in the, in the body of the mom. And, you know, that provides nourishment and physical nourishment. 
Then I thought of the, someone has said, well, there's a second attachment that's almost like that, and that's a biblical cord where uh, they convey the biblical truth of, of faith in God as Mary expressed to Jesus. And uh, that is certainly a, an attachment that cannot be minimized. You know, reading the Bible, stories, lessons, and above all, living it out, fleshing it out for your children to understand that this is practical. This is something that's doable. The Christian life is that biblical cord that is is uh, imperative for this, the spiritual sustenance of your children, moms. The third attachment I thought of is that of the prayer cord. We sometimes think of that. And I like to think that this attachment knows no limits. There is no limits to that prayer cord that attaches you to God and your children. Uh, no limitations. Someone has said that... Uh, Susanna Wesley, who was John and Charles's mother, um, she was from a family of 25, I think near the end of the 25 children. So she knew what large families were, knew what demands were on, on moms and big families. She had 10 children, and uh, it's said that she, in spite of that responsibility of raising 10 children, she would take two hours a day and uh, flip her apron up over her head and uh, make a tent so that she was not distracted by whatever was taking place in the house or outside, wherever it was. And her children had the uh, understanding, the respect, that when that apron was up overhead, she was in communication with God, and they left her alone, other than in a dare emergency. And I didn't uh, read that there was any of them recorded. There possibly could be in some of the other writings, but uh, I was challenged as I thought of that prayer cord, that prayer attachment that moms have. And uh, as Susanna Wesley so aptly illustrated, she she made a, a closet just right there in that home, flipped her apron up over her head and made a tent, and she prayed, she read the Bible, and uh, communicated to God, her Creator, for her children. This morning I'd like to challenge you moms to, and, and all of us, that we need to take time to uh, maintain that prayer cord for the safety the spiritual health and wealth of our and benefit of our uh, our offspring. This morning I'd like to encourage you to keep doing what you're doing. God bless you and again thank you.